Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Regardless of if you own your own business or if you're in corporate America, we've always at some point had the the feeling that it's just not enough or we're not getting what we want or we're, we're just missing something in our, in our lives or in our careers, I guess I would say more than our lives. And how do we overcome that? How do we think about our careers differently? How do we understand the right job, the right thing, the right place for us to be? We're going to talk about that today on the Entrepreneur's MBA with Adam Kipnis. I am your host. I appreciate you taking a minute to listen. Uh, I want to also want to thank C-Suite Radio for being our platform, as well as the Wine Ambassador, the nation's fastest growing wine club for sponsoring the show. If you like to drink wine, but don't want to just randomly pull stuff off of the shelf, you can have wine delivered to your home and the Wine Ambassador can take care of it. Go to wineadam.com and you can learn more about that. So today's guest, it's going to be a really interesting conversation because it's a little bit of a shift from what we traditionally talk about. That's why I'm excited to do it. Um, my guest works with mid-career professionals who are successful but not satisfied. I think we've all had that feeling. Her clients are high achievers, VP level or up with 10 plus years of experience, advanced degrees. They're go-getters that crave satisfaction, satisfaction in making a positive impact. And they want to deliver at the highest level. They're motivated. They work harder, but they just don't always feel that level of fulfillment in their career. Now, she works with a lot of corporate executives. The same is true for you entrepreneurs out there. You need to listen to this because you go through the same thing. Terry McDougall, thanks for joining today. I'm excited about this conversation. Oh, Adam, I'm really thrilled to be here. And I, I can't wait to talk more about uh, helping people who are successful but not satisfied be successful and satisfied. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think we just got the title. Um, so it's, it's amazing that there are so many people that are successful and we see them and we look and we're like, oh, their life must be awesome. They drive cool cars. They live in a cool house. They've got, you know, a six figure plus job. Everything seems great, but they're just not happy, especially during those eight to 10 to 12 hours that they're within the walls of their workforce. They may be happy outside of it, but they're not happy while they're there. So before we fully dig into that, you had a 30-year career sort of in, in the corporate world. And I'm guessing there was some of this in your corporate world that led you to want to learn more about it. Tell us a little bit about where you started and the journey that led you to helping people who were just like you. Well, yeah, I would say that I definitely had those times in my career where I was... Um, you know, I went to a good school and uh, got, got a good start in publishing back in the 1980s. And, uh, but there were times when I, I didn't feel satisfied. I didn't feel like I was moving up at the rate that I felt like I should. And uh, early in my career, I, I started working in publishing. And I, um, I worked for about seven years and I decided that I would go back and get an MBA. Um, and the reason why I decided to do that was because I, did, I didn't feel like I was moving up at the rate that I wanted to. And I'd always had it kind of in the back of my mind that, um, that maybe I'd go back to school. And as a matter of fact, I worked someplace that I really enjoyed the people that I worked with a lot. But quite frankly, I was there for four years and I had kind of outgrown the, the job maybe a couple of years before. 
But when one of my colleagues got married and moved away, I was sitting there at work thinking, you know, if I don't do something, everything around me is going to change. And the things that I liked about working here are going to be gone. And as a matter of fact, that day, I, when that dawned on me, I picked up the phone and I called the University of Maryland to see when the deadline was for their MBA program. And this was before you could just go online and do it, it was the 90s. <laughs> and, uh, and it ended up that two days, uh, it was two days before the deadline and I applied, I, this was like in May, I got in and in August I was there doing trust falls with all of my um, classmates, you know, getting during the orientation. Um, so that was, that was like one time. And then I had a good 20 years in banking after that. And there were a couple times during that, um, that time when I, I was able, I was lucky because I worked for companies where there was a lot of opportunity to grow and I moved around a lot, but you know, sometimes there's just not a place to go and it can feel for somebody like me that likes to learn and likes to keep advancing it can get really frustrating when when you're sort of just in neutral or you're just doing the same things again and again and uh really it was after 21 years working at two different companies that i finally realized that um you know i i'd been sort of an entrepreneur you know i had been entrepreneurial within these large companies but maybe it was time to go out and do something on my own. And so um, three years ago, I decided to do that. And I got, um, I got a certification in coaching. And uh, now I'm out working with people that are like I used to be. And uh, we can get into, you know, what I do with people a little bit more. During those times, when you're just not satisfied, and we all have those, sometimes they're little blips, mm -hmm. sometimes outside forces, make us unhappier at work. Did you have an inkling during any of those times that the entrepreneurial journey was in your future? Or did you just push through and continue working? Like, was this something that was in the back well, of your mind? It's a, it's a good question because I actually have been, uh, I, I, um, when I was in business school, I actually had my own graphic design business. And uh, I did that because I could make, you know, it was back in the 90s, I made $35 an hour doing that, which was, you know, meant multiple times what I would have made had I just gotten a part-time job someplace. And it was really from um, necessity, but it was also a skill that I had that was valued in the marketplace. And so I guess I was an economics major in undergrad. And so I always like to think about like, what's the most efficient use of resources and what's valued in the marketplace. And, you know, yeah, I, I could have gotten a part-time job someplace and probably back then maybe made like five bucks an hour or something. Um, or I could have spent you know, the few hours that I had outside of class doing this freelance work. And I figured everything out with that. You know, I had to buy a computer and I had to figure out how to do my, um, you know, accounting and bill and all of that kind of stuff. But it really was, um, you know, I had a, a vision, right? I wanted to get a, I wanted to get a degree and I needed to support myself. Um, Yep. So you, you were sort of an entrepreneur without thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur in some ways. Did you think about that freelance as a business or did you just think about it as a means to an end? 
Like honestly, no, was no, it? I, I thought about it as a business. Like I, I had a logo and I named, I named my business. Okay. I put it on my, um, my resume, you know, I, I think it's important. You know, I, I also am a marketer. So I think about positioning and branding and all of that, not only for the business, but also for myself, you know, because when I got out of school, I had to, I had to kind of brand myself as somebody that companies would want to hire. And I didn't want to just put it like, Oh yeah, I was just a freelancer. No, I, I was a business owner. Right. It, and I it, bet that's especially important now with some of your clients I mean, we're talking VP and above four large corporations making whatever yeah, making, amount of money. Yeah, they're, they're making yeah. two, three, four, five hundred thousand yeah, dollars a year, exactly. probably. Mm-hmm. So you can't come in like person off the street being like, hey, I'm just gonna wing it, right? You have to be you have to look bigger, act bigger, and look as impressive as your talent is, your business has to look equally as talented, correct? That's not easy Absolutely. to pull off. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, um, I hired a really top notch graphic designer to develop my branding. Um, I, I, I did do my own website, but right now I am upgrading. I have a professional who's doing my website upgrading because that's the first impression. And because I don't have bricks and mortar, um, my website and my LinkedIn profile is my storefront basically. Yep. And now you're probably getting referred by current clients and past clients and new clients. So you don't even necessarily have the opportunity to make a first impression with a lot of these people because someone's telling them about, telling you, telling their friend about you, right? And so the first thing they see is your website or your LinkedIn. That's, That's right. That's absolutely right. And it's a very interesting point. So for everyone listening, like if... If you're doing outside marketing, you can drive people to what you want, right? You, you might meet them. And if you meet them and then they see your website, your website takes on a whole different meaning. Or if you do an ad in, in somewhere, your website takes on a whole different meaning. But for a referral, someone coming from a, um, a happy client, right? Um, your website is the first impression. They're going to look on it probably favorably because someone referred you, but you're, you're a little bit blind to the person coming in. So you have to do, you have to think about it a little bit differently from a marketing standpoint. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I work with people who are both, you know, want to be more effective in their role, but I also work with people that are maybe looking to pivot and do something different. And, one of the biggest mistakes that I see people making, you know, whether they're an entrepreneur or they're, um, you know, in corporate and looking for a new job is that they don't invest in their image. And a lot of people don't invest in professional photography, just as an example. Um, you know, somebody's going out looking to make, you know, $250,000 a year or something like that. And, and they are using like a photo from a wedding where they've cropped their spouse out. <laughs> like that just does not align with somebody who looks like they're worth that much of an investment for a company or, you know, for anybody else. And so that, I, I always think about that, you know, like you've really got to think about what people think of you when you're in the marketplace and what your image looks like. No, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's how we look to others is, is always extremely critical, but the small things sometimes are the big things. 
Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Th those little pictures and quick little side story. So we um, have a, a condo, the tenant moved out of the condo. Now we want to be an Airbnb here in Phoenix, Arizona. It's March and it's prime time for people to look at it. And I needed to take some pictures. So I take pictures with my phone. They're awful. Like <laughs> I, I don't have an eye for it. Thankfully, we've got a professional photographer coming in over the next two days to take real pictures. Yeah. But what we think is, oh, I've got to check that box to other people is the entire package. It's probably a little bit true with some of the people that you're working with. They're unhappy in their jobs. And it may be some of the small things. Maybe their boss is a little nitpicky or maybe it's they've got to fill out paperwork in triplicate or they're tired of the same corporate message, a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So how do you, I guess, I guess identify in your clients or in others, what are the trigger points? What are the things that are sort of setting them off in their dissatisfaction? Uh, usually people are really clear <laughs> when I first <laughs> talk to them about what they're unhappy about. The thing that they typically have a harder time figuring out is what they want. And uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about my book later, but um, in studying this and coaching people and thinking about it for years, I think one of the biggest things that um, where people go wrong is that they don't pay attention enough to what they want and that they're very tuned into what other people want. So they're looking for external validation and they're not getting it, but yet they're not giving themselves internal validation. And it really makes a lot of sense when you think about high achievers because you know they've probably done well in school and then, and then they got into a good college and then they maybe went to graduate school and then they got in with a good company. And the way that people do that is, be, is by paying attention to what other people want and delivering and maybe even over delivering on that. And what happens a lot of times when people have been working for a while is that maybe they think like, oh, when I get to the VP level or when I'm making a quarter of a million dollars a year or when I get that big house, I'll feel satisfied. And then they get to that level and they don't. And they're like, well, why? Why do I not feel satisfied? Because this is what I thought I wanted. But what they have ignored is those, those internal intrinsic drivers of satisfaction. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe that when people can find that sweet spot between um, what's going to make them successful at work. So, okay, what does your boss expect of you? You know, what is your sales goal, whatever, um, and what they really need to get out of what they do for a living. Yep. That's where people will be successful and satisfied. Um, but if they're just going for that external, you know, validation, they may get it and then feel, just feel empty. Interesting. And I want to dig into that. So, I, I, but I want to switch back first question to a little bit more on the business side, your <laughs> business side. So you long career in, in the banking industry, economics from a very prestigious school, um, right? Not easy to get into your college where you went. Mm -hmm. um, economics is not typically really a soft skill kind of a, a degree. So yeah. what, what in 20 years in banking, seven years in publishing, 
led you to more of this kind of softer look at people's personalities, how people are feeling, how people are, are going that led you to the business. Why you can make money in a lot of different ways. Why this yeah. way? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I had enough uh, credits in undergrad to have an art minor. So I'm one of those people that sort of like probably right in between like analytical and, you know, more empathetic, I guess. And it actually was a really great combination to have to be a marketer in banking because I always supported pretty complex businesses like the investment bank, asset management, wealth management. So I was the person that had to understand these complex solutions that the bank provided and translate them into things that, you know, lay people could understand. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of what I do now too, right? Is I listen, I, I'm a good listener. I, I've always been really consultative, you know, I'm listening for, okay, what's the problem? And then I think, okay, well, how could we potentially solve this? And then, I don't know, I just, I think naturally I'm just sort of an empathetic person, but not, not soft. I mean, you can't be soft and work with investment bankers. <laughs> no, no, de de definitely not. Definitely not. That is a hard charging group of yes, people. Yes, it sure is. It was, it was fun working with them though, I have to say. That's awesome. So, so you, so you make the transition when you set up shop, did you have um, clients from your company that you were sort of targeting initially or where did sort of the first clients come from and to make this thing actually real for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the first clients uh, did come from people that I worked with. And then interestingly enough, when I changed my LinkedIn profile to, you know, put coaching out there, I had several people that I worked with over the years. I actually, uh, somebody that I met at my first job in 1986 reached out to me and I ended up coaching her. Uh, but that's where a number of my um, clients came from. And then uh, people referred people to me. Um, I, um, I got it. I put together a subscriber list of just people that I knew. And people, you know, when I would meet people, I'd ask them if they want to be on my mailing list. I uh, blogged very regularly for the first um, couple years of my business. And so, you know, sometimes people would uh, and I also would um, publish things on LinkedIn. And so people would come to me that way as well. Very cool. Very cool. So um, the, one of the hardest things to do for service-based professionals, and I want to get your take on this. You don't have to give the dollar amounts because obviously potential clients are going to listen and we don't want to mm -hmm. freak anybody out. But the pricing side of it, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in a service-based business, we are pricing based on thin air in some ways. Yeah. Right? We know our value or we believe we know our value, but we don't know what the market's going to pay for. We mm -hmm. don't know necessarily unless we do a ton of research, which is hard to find and what other people charge in a service-based business. How did you determine, all right, what's, what's my price point? What am I going to offer? I know what I can do, but what am I going to mm -hmm. offer and how much I'm going to charge? How did you think through that process? Well, I, I was fortunate enough to have, actually hired coaches along the way. And I had worked with somebody probably, I don't know, a couple of years before I started my business. So I knew what people were paying for this type of coaching here. Now, the woman that, um, that I hired at the time, she's a master certified coach. So she's more experienced. Um, 
you know, with their own business than I was, but I used that sort of as the, the target. I didn't, I didn't price initially at that level. Uh, but it's, it's kind of funny because when I got my first client, I was, I'd gotten some advice, which was go by your gut and then bump it up <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, like you, people always tend to under undervalue themselves. And then the funny thing was that, you know, when I had this conversation with my first, uh, was prospect, but when I, um, you know, had the discovery meeting with him, I was a little nervous about the pricing. And when we got to the end of the conversation, he was like, okay, yeah, I want to hire you. And he never even asked me what the price was. So <laughs> I just put it in the, you know, the written agreement and sent it to him and he signed it and paid me. <laughs> so, so that was a better. good sign. That was a good <laughs> sign. Yeah. But I mean, it's since that time I've, I bumped it up. I've experimented. I've experimented a lot with packaging um, and, you know, I, I continue to do that. I continue to experiment. Good for you, as you should, as everybody yeah. should out there. We need to experiment. Nothing is static, especially in the ever-changing world. I don't know when everyone's going to listen to this, but now we're in coronavirus world and people don't want to leave their houses. I think it may be a little overblown, but that may, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> um, we're talking with Terry McDougall here on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You can uh, go to her website at Terry B. McDougall, that's with two L's.com, or find her on LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Terry McDougall, I believe. Terry B. Uh, McDougall. Terry, Terry B. McDougall. Um, and you can find out more information, but you've got a book coming out, Winning the Game of Work. Yeah. Right. And uh, writing a book. It, it, I've, I have three. It's a fun thing to do. I think it's a, it's a benefit to clients. Obviously, it's great for marketing. Um, what what propelled you to write write the book? Well, you know, the, those two years of blogs, as somebody, you know, opened my eyes up to the fact that I had a good start on a book because I had probably about 30,000 words when I when I totaled up all of the blog <laughs> posts that I had done. So that was, that was the seed of the book. I mean, the book ended up being like 70, 76,000 words and a lot, not much from the blogs made it in, you know, exactly how it was, but um, that was the beginning. And then I actually uh, went through a book writing program that a professor at Georgetown University runs. And that was super helpful because I, I really wasn't sure how to go about getting a book published. But when I found out about that, I kind of put the 30,000 words together with the book writing program. And I thought, what the heck? I, I knew it would be a, a really good thing for my business to get my, my thoughts out there so people could encounter them without having to actually run into me. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, and it's interesting. I was just talking about this on a, on a podcast the other day that no matter what you do in your life, author seems to be the thing that people gravitate to. I have no idea why uh, people love when other people write books and we all have books within us. Mm -hmm. um, it's just taking, um, which if you, if you hire someone like you did, probably was a much easier process well, than, I mean, than maybe you thought at the beginning, right? It, well, yeah, it's still I mean, it's, a lot of work, but it was it's still a lot of work, but it was, it, it was very reassuring to have somebody guide you. And then there was a, a publishing company that was associated with it. So, you know, they've guided me through, you know, everything about how to get, you know, cover quotes from, you know, other authors, uh, you know, the, 
I've got a designer that's designing the cover right now. So it's, it, it's been nice to have somebody kind of holding my hand, but I still had to pour over every word in the book. You know, I, I, I went through, I edited it probably five times, you know, 80,000 words. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I had, I read my book, my first one, and this was only a 60 page book. So it was 15,000 words probably. Mm -hmm. And you can get it at free book from adam.com. By the way, it's eight steps to make more money in your business without spending any money on marketing. Um, I'm going to download it. <laughs> it's a quick, easy read chapter by chapter. It's literally exactly what you need to do to make more money in your business. And you read a chapter, do it, read a chapter, do it. That's how it's built. So I read it five or six times. I paid somebody, not a ton, but it was probably like 300 bucks, which to have somebody read a 60-page book seemed about right. They read it. I had a friend read it, publish it, give one to my mom. This I published it like right before the holidays. And I gave one to my mom, page six. She found a spelling mistake, yeah. circled it, and <laughs> mailed the book back to me. We, we both live in Arizona. We live 30 minutes apart from each other. She mailed it back to me and was like, um, you missed one. Uh, thanks, like, mom. Thanks, mommy. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely have somebody smart and detail-oriented read your book. Absolutely. So when does the book come out? It's coming out the first week in April. All right. Do you have a site where people can go? Or are you going to put it on Amazon? Is it through bookstores? It's How gonna, are you going to do it? It's going to be on Amazon. It's going to be on Barnes and Noble. Um, I am planning on recording an audio book too, but that's probably going to be um, later on in the summer. Um, so yeah, it's going to be at the usual, usual places. That's awesome. And for, for those of you, this is called winning the game of work, but as an entrepreneur, the same facts, the same absolutely. traits all hold true, right? We're not. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I look at it like if you want to, you know, quote unquote, win, win the game of work and work can be your own business too. But, you know, think about what it is that you want. Think about what's valued in the marketplace. Think about what the gap is between where you are and where you'd like to be and what you need to do to fill it. Um, network every day because you know you're going to be successful through other people and take imperfect action i mean those are the those are the like the five tenets um that i teach but i teach a lot more in that book um and that those are just as valid for somebody who's an entrepreneur as someone who's in the workplace and probably even more so yeah agreed um and then your second book is going to be winning the <laughs> game of entrepreneurship. Um, and then you can just, you know, spin off sequel after yep, sequel. Yep, sounds good. Um, so um, two more questions before we wrap up. One, so your clients today, I mean, you said you blogged a lot. You've got the book coming out. You've gotten referrals. But how do you get your message out today? What What is your number one technique to get your word out, to have people find more about you, to keep the, the phone ringing and the, the executives coming your way? Because there's a lot of people who need you. How do you find them? Yeah, I, I do speaking. And I've, I've had a lot of luck with that. I was a marketer. That was the functional area that I worked in when I was in corporate. And I'm a member of the American Marketing Association. And I have spoken um, to 
to uh, the Chicago chapter. I also have joined um, uh, Human Resources uh, networking group. I go to a lot of networking meetings. So it's really a matter of meeting people, letting them know what I do. And, you know, even if they haven't, they don't have a need, you know, sometimes people will refer their friends or family to me. Um, and I, you know, I think just being out there and letting myself be known is the best way to, um, to develop business. No, that's awesome. And I lied. I, I had two questions. Now I have a third because one just popped mm -hmm. in my head. In the corporate world that you work in, have business, have corporations learned that this is an opportunity for them. Like some of their people are dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. Some they'd love to go a different direction, but they can't really fire them because they're decent at their job, but they're yeah. just, they're there. So do corporations seek out you and people of your talent to help with their individual employees in a coaching way? Some do. Yes, yeah, some do. Some of, some of my um, business does come from companies where they will, you know, basically have, usually it's their high performers that they will pay for coaching for. Yep. And, um, and I've, I've seen, and a lot of times when those people come, they're not necessarily, you know, fully dissatisfied, but there might be some, uh, I, I actually say that I help them get more leverage because a lot of times when people get uh, promoted that they keep kind of doing the job they had before. They don't mentally promote themselves. They don't use all of the resources that are at their disposal. And so I help them to kind of see all of the levers that they have that they can use to get more leverage. Um, and, you know, just an example is that I, I worked with um, one woman who had gotten promoted maybe a few months before she started working with me. And in our first session, she said, you know, I'm working like 70 hours a week and it makes me so mad because everybody on my team is like leaving at five. And, you know, clear, I was looking at this and, you know, I talked before about like, what's the, what's the gap between where you are and where you'd like to be? Well, that was very clear. And we worked on a lot of things together. Like, um, you know, she had an open door policy, so she never had time to do her own work. And I said, it's okay for you to close your door. Um, you know, being a lot more clear about her expectations of the people that worked for her. Um, you know, just in the time that we worked together, she was able to dial back how much work she was taking home. She was able to start going home at a more reasonable hour and she was more satisfied. Um, but sometimes people just don't see the opportunities. Um, so, and I think that companies, um, they recognize that this is valuable, but for one thing, just she had said to me at one point, like, oh, I'm thinking that maybe I'll just step back into the role I had before. And she's not thinking it that way now, but I think if, com if the company had not gotten her coaching, she would have done that and they would have lost somebody who actually was valuable and had a lot of talent for the company. She just hadn't really been, you know, trained to step up to that next level, which she had been promoted to. No, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. And that kind of leads to my final question. Um, and you can learn more about this at terrybmcdougall.com or find her on LinkedIn at terrybmcdougall. You know, people are probably listening. A lot of people listen in their cars or they're listening, you know, on the train or whatever. And, and then they're thinking to themselves, yeah, I, I used to love my job. I love components of it, but I'm just not satisfied in the role or I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, it's, 
something's not right. So, but where do they start? Like, what is the first thing that when people jump on the phone with you or when you, when you direct people, where do you tell them to start to figure out if you're the right solution and if they, they really have the situation that they think they have? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's really up to them to decide whether they feel like I, if they feel like they can trust me and all of that. Um, you know, I think I'm a good listener and certainly I've lived through a lot of things that I coach other people through. Um, but it goes back to what I said earlier, which is people have to really think about what it is that they want. And one of the issues that I see very often is that people will edit themselves or they will stop themselves before they even allow themselves to say what it is that they want. Uh, just for example, you know, somebody might say, well, I really would like to work in this other field. But the first thing they'll say is I make too much money. Um, I can't make a switch like that. I'm too old. I, they, they make a lot of excuses for why they can't do something. And I always think, I, I always say to my clients, like, these are two separate things. Like what you want, just say what you want and put it on a table. Don't mess with it. And then it's separate what you have to do to get there. And that's, that's sort of the coaching journey right there is, you know, let's help people, you know, honestly say what they want in a safe place and then separately look at what's the gap between where they are and how they get there. And, you know, I think smart people have a lot that they're able to do, you know, and, and uh, I, I also will help people kind of take an inventory of their skill sets and repackage them in a way that's attractive for a different type of job. And I've, I've had, uh, you know, a number of clients that have gotten, you know, that have pivoted and have done things that were different that they were afraid weren't possible when we started working together. That's awesome. I appreciate that. I appreciate your openness on, on this episode. And I think there's a lot for people to think about, right? It's so important to be into our jobs. You don't have to be like uber passionate. Like there's some people who are just very different in that way, but you have to be satisfied. You have to be comfortable in what you're doing. And as entrepreneurs, a lot of people don't have the success that they want, not because they're not great at what they do, but because there's just something that's holding them back. And people like Terry can help you uncover that. Terry, thanks for being on the episode. I really appreciate your time. Adam, thank you. It was a lot of fun. You're very welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Look forward to having you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.